0: You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from ScoreZag Score and taking over here at Locked On. First, I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you're a new listener to the show, new to my content specifically, or coming over from my previous show, a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast Wherever you already get podcasts and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel, which is going to start in the next few weeks. For those of you who are more visual, we just want to see what kind of setup I have in my podcast studio, which I got to be honest right now. We're in the process of moving. It's it's going to be a little wonky <laughs> whenever we get this show started. You're probably going to see a lot of different backgrounds for the first couple of weeks as we try to get, a, get ourselves settled into our new house. But uh, once we do, it's going to be a great little background, fun little podcast studio coming your way. So check that out on YouTube as soon as it comes out. You'll hear from me. As soon as it does, I promise. All right, we are less than one week from Gonzaga's exhibition exhibition opener. One week, y'all. They're playing on Halloween. We are almost there. They're going to start the season off against Eastern Oregon. Today is yet another edition of Mailbag Monday. we got a ton of great questions from all of you listeners out there. Going to go through them all one by one to get us through our last Mailbag Monday before we actually have actually have basketball to talk about. Uh, just a reminder for those of you who are new listeners or who have not gotten involved in Mailbag Monday in the past, if you want to get involved, three ways you can do so. You can tweet at me at Scores.Ixscore whenever you are thinking of a question. I'll write it up. I'll get it into the show. I also reach out on Twitter Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet. Those That's a guaranteed way to get yourself into the show. You can also reach out on Facebook and Instagram, which are currently at ScorezagScore, or you can email me personally at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. That's especially if you have like longer questions you want to flesh out. If you're somebody who doesn't use social media, it's a really good way if you have multiple questions, a really good way to reach out to me. I always respond to your emails as well so we can have a dialogue about it in that regard. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, this first segment, I, tried to, I try to break them up as best I can. Sometimes you guys make it easier on me. Sometimes you don't make it as easy on me. That's totally okay. This first question, this first segment is generally about kind of rotations and kind of the offensive flow for next season this first question comes from emily via gmail she says why does few like to use a smaller rotation what is the benefit of that especially in years like this one where there's so much depth emily also mentioned that she thought this might be a stupid question which it's absolutely not emily i cannot stress that enough this is a very a common question about about coach few particularly in the most recent years i think the easy the easy answer to this question for the first Twelve to fifteen years of Mark Few's tenure, tenure as the head coach, is that they just they didn't have the depth, they didn't have the amount of talent that this roster has, uh, top one through nine. They may have had it one through four, one through three, uh, even on some of the better teams one through six or seven, but rarely has Mark Few had the amount of talent to really have this be a a question that comes up as much as it has in the last three maybe four seasons so I think that's part of it I think the other part of it is is kind of simple better players equals more success and so for Mark Few as good as Caden Perry is as the 10th man in this roster as good as Ben Gregg is as the ninth man on this roster in, in my mind as good as you know Dominic Harris is as the fourth or fifth guard depending on on where he slots in when he gets back from his injury like the other guys are better Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy are definitively better than Caden Perry and Ben Gregg. And that's not a slight to those guys. It's the fact that those two guys are, you know, a consensus top five selection in the 22 NBA draft and a consensus selection for National Player of the Year front runner. So... Like, you, you, it's pretty hard to be better than those two guys. So I think for Mark Few and for the way that he's operated as a coach and the way that this team is operated is just play your better players as much as you can. And obviously, you could make some arguments that potentially playing those guys less keeps them fresher into the tournament. Yes, maybe that's the case. You know, you look at a guy like Corey Kisby, who played 35 minutes per game last year on a team that Probably didn't need to play him as much. We'll see that this year with how good Julian Strother is. Like, oh, maybe Julian could have played more. Corey struggled a little bit in the tournament. Are those things related? I don't know. I tend to think... If they are, it's a very small correlation and not a significant one. I do understand when people bring that up, like, hey, why run Corey Ragged all year when we have capable backups, guys who could play in his place, and he gets tired at the end of the year? Meh, maybe. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. But I think generally the thought process is play your better players more, and for the majority of the time, Marfew's been the head coach. There hasn't been nine really good players on a roster. We'll see what happens this year. I'm pretty staunchly believing that he's not going to play a bigger rotation. I don't know that I agree with that decision necessarily, but I do believe that that is the decision that will be made. Next question comes from Strike Nowhere at Strike Nowhere on Twitter who asks, can you elaborate on the Holmgren-Timmy-Watson trio on the court at the same time? Curious how that would work. Would Chet play the three? Yeah, so I talked about this in the last episode. Strike Nowhere asked this question moments after he listened to the the last mailbag, I assume. And so I've been kind of sitting on it for a while. The answer is yes. Yes. I think on offense, Chet plays the three and it depends on what the defense is doing. Obviously that goes without saying if the defense is in a zone, I think you see Chet play that soft spot at the top of the zone. Drew Drew Timmy plays down low. Watson either runs the baseline or he ends up playing out on the perimeter. He's kind of Useless out there. That that seems mean. I don't want to say it that way, but he's not an outside shooter, and so I don't think that if the opposing team is in a zone offense I, or zone defense, excuse me, I, just, I don't think we see this lineup. I just don't think there's not really any reason for Gonzaga to run it. They would run a lineup with Chet and Drew, and then the three best shooters that they have, and then they would just bomb threes all over the opposing team. If it was a man defense and they were running this, I think you would see Chet play more on the perimeter. Anton would either play that high-low role or they wouldn't run the high-low offense. Drew would be down low, and I think Chet would be playing out on the perimeter, potentially shooting threes over guys. You might try to flex him down low and get Drew out. There's, there's different ways you could do it. Again, I've mentioned this a couple of times. It's positionless basketball. I, I don't think that calling Chet a three on offense when he's on the floor with Anton Watson really matters. And I think defensively Chet's not going to be a three at all. He's going to be the five, really, defensively. He's going to be under the basket. He's going to be blocking shots. He's going to be cleaning up boards. That's what he's going to do. So he's not going to look like a traditional three in that sense because he's not going to be playing on the perimeter on defense. But on offense, I do think you could see him play more of a role away from the ball in the spurts of games when they play this lineup. Again, I said it that then and I'll say it again. I don't think it's going to be a lineup we see all that often especially because Gonzaga has so much guard depth and they have Julian Strathra and they just don't need to play this lineup all that much. But I do think we'll see it periodically. And when we do, I think Chet's going to play more of a three role, at least on offense. Next question is another one from Emily via Gmail. She says, is it a problem to have so much talent? Does it risk making guys frustrated and leaving before they get their chance? This may really only be a fan problem to see players we like transferring or not getting expected minutes when more people come on board. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, problem's not the right word. I do understand absolutely what you're saying, and, and I do think that the fan problem is probably more of a part of it, where fans get frustrated to see players continually leaving the program early, uh, players they were really excited about who never got a chance for whatever reason. This hasn't really happened at Gonzaga. Umar Balo left last year, and he left because there was a roster crunch. That's, that's an example of it. There have been other players who have left the program because of roster crunches in the past. Greg Foster left, Manny Arop left, um, there are many more, Ryan Spangler left, Grant Gibbs left. Some of those guys left for different reasons. Grant Gibbs went on to have a very successful career, so did Ryan Spangler. Those are two of the most successful players to transfer away from Gonzaga. And in some regards, that was instances of them being in log jams here, but it was mostly I think they just thrived in other systems, whether it was something they didn't they didn't align with Mark Few and the system. They didn't align with being in Spokane like with Gibbs. The story was that he was really homesick, like maybe that was impacting his his ability or how he was playing on the floor. But those weren't that's not the same situation that you see at like Duke in North Carolina, where they are continually having top 100, top 50, top 25 rated recruits transferring after a year or two because they're not getting any playing time. That's not happening at Gonzaga, partly because they're not getting multiple top 25 recruits very often. It happened this year. It's going to continue to happen after this, but it ha- it's not a long-time thing that has been happening at Gonzaga. And part of it is because I think the co- the staff is so intentional about finding players that they believe will buy into the system, that they believe will, will work out on the timeline that Gonzaga identifies for them. I don't know if Gonzaga how often they adjust their timeline, but they seem to really nail it with a guy like Rui, where they were ready for him to play in his third year. You know, they were ready for Drew Timmy to play in his second year. They were ready for Phil Petrusta to play in his second year. Like some guys, it's a full four-year plan. Joe Eliyai was a three-year plan. Like they they seem to identify that really well. And, it, and rarely do we see guys transfer away who blossom somewhere else. So it seems like they have a good grasp on what's going to happen with these guys. The... It's kind of a long-winded answer. The short answer is no, it's not a problem to have too much talent as long as you are forthright, open, honest with the players you're recruiting and recruiting the type of players who are going to buy into that type of system. For the most part, with very few misses, Mark Few and before this year, Tommy Lloyd and their staff have identified players who fit into the system extraordinarily well. It is their it is their greatest strength, on their greatest strength, with without a doubt in my mind. Mark Few is a good actual basketball coach. I don't have a doubt about that, but his greatest strength is figuring out how to develop these players on the correct timeline and getting them to buy into it. And I think a big part of that is recruiting the right types of players. If they continue to do that, this will not be a problem. If they don't, if they start chasing the number of stars that guys have and they don't focus on anything else, we're going to start seeing what happens at Duke in North Carolina where they churn these dudes in and out of the program every year or so. And I I just don't think that that's going to happen at Gonzaga. All right, that's a wrap on segment number one. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener submitted questions all episode long. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Prize Prize PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the all-star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major players as well, which I know is appealing to all the Gonzaga fans out there. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. PricePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out PricePix.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go, to your, or go to your App Store and download the app today. PricePix is daily fantasy made easy. All right, Mailbag Monday in segment one. We talked a lot about Mark Hughes' rotations and how he kind of handles those things. Second, segment two, we're going to talk more about scheduling. This first question comes from Mike Curtis at Upper95215 on Twitter, who asks, how much impact does not having a secret scrimmage have? Yeah, so this is an interesting question. Obviously, Gonzaga, for most of the seasons, uh, recent seasons, has had a secret scrimmage. They've scrimmaged Michigan State in the past. and know they've scrimmaged a lot of other high-profile programs in these secret, I know you can't see me because we haven't done the YouTube channel yet, but I'm doing air quotes, secret scrimmages, because oftentimes the results of those scrimmages are revealed. Sometimes just the final score, sometimes actual player points and rebounds per game numbers are revealed. I think we always have to take those with a pretty significant grain of salt because we don't exactly know what the teams are doing. They might be trying some new things. And I think that's kind of where the impact of this question is kind of, it's, it's hard to know. I think, Certainly playing scrimmaging against a good opponent is more impactful than adding a second exhibition game, a closed door scrimmage against Michigan state or Texas, or I guess Texas, it wouldn't be Texas because they're playing them this year, but insert any good team that Gonzaga is not playing this year, Kansas, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, whomever is more impactful in terms of making your players better and seeing if the offensive and defensive sets that you're planning to run work. If Gonzaga's thinking about unleashing a 1-3-1 zone this year, I don't think that they are, but let's say that they are. I would rather them try it in a closed-door scrimmage against Michigan State than in an exhibition opener against Eastern Oregon for two reasons. One, it's going to work against Eastern Oregon because Eastern Oregon is not very good. Two, now the entire country knows that Gonzaga has a 1-3-1 defense in the bag. If you do it in a secret scrimmage against Michigan State, you may see, oh, Gonzaga defeated Michigan State 82-77. to Chet Holmgren had 23 points. But the write-up that you see or the tweet from whomever got that information is not going to say, Gonzaga spent the entire second half in a 1-3-1 zone. Like, that's not information you're going to get. And Tom Izzo is not going to tell people that. That's part of the deal with the secret scrimmage. I mean, if he does, he's kind of an asshole. But I assume that part of the deal when you do these secret scrimmages is that that information is not getting revealed in an exhibition game, you can still try stuff. You can still do stuff that you end up scrapping later. But ultimately it's it's more difficult to do because the game is more visible. There are fans in the seats. In many cases they're televised or at least there's radio. So other teams can get a hold of that. So I do think Gonzaga loses something by not having it. I don't think it's tremendous. I don't think it's going to cost them any games this year, necessarily. I don't think that they're scrapping entire sets or entire things they're planning to do because they didn't get to try it in a secret scrimmage. But I think that if I had to choose every single year, should Gonzaga play a second exhibition game or a secret scrimmage, I'd pick the secret scrimmage, even if it's a game I, you know, we don't get to go to, it's a game we don't get to see. I would rather they do that. I think it's better for them as a team. Not dramatically, not so much that I think it's going to seriously derail the team, but it does matter. This next question comes from Brian Mary at B on Twitter, who asks, Who will be our toughest non conference opponent this year? So this is a the Andrews I was kind of reading into the way that this question was worded because I think if you're just looking like ranking the teams, that's that's different than looking at the actual opponents and the game and the time of this, you know, the time in the schedule and all of that stuff. So, you know, UCLA and Texas and Duke are the three top tier opponents that Gonzaga is playing. Alabama is good. Like they're, you know, they have other good opponents on their schedule, but the, the, the answer to this question is one of those three teams between Duke, UCLA, and Texas. Duke is being played at the end of a week where they already will have played Central Michigan and UCLA. It's the day after Thanksgiving. They'll have been in Las Vegas for over a week. It, they'll have played two games that week, including what is likely going to be a very emotionally exhausting and physically demanding game against UCLA. So for me, that Duke game is going to be really, really hard. But I don't know that that makes Duke their toughest opponent. For me, I think the toughest opponent is Texas, and that is and, and UCLA obviously extremely good team took them to overtime or took nearly took them to overtime. Uh, returns all of their starters from last year. Obviously, they're gonna be extremely good. But Texas has such a deep team this year, and beyond that, they have a lot of big physical veteran guards. And that to me is one of the one of the few ways that a team could beat Gonzaga this year. And obviously the recipe was laid out against when they played Baylor last year. The roster has changed significantly. Gonzaga's you know they lost Jalen Suggs, Joe L.I. E. Corey Kiss, but they lost a lot of their offense. They gained a, a much bigger defensive presence in a guy like Chet Holmgren. They have two dynamic freshman guards. They got a grad transfer in Bolton. Like the, the roster has changed a lot. But Big physical guards are still going to be an issue for Gonzaga. They're going to be an issue in the pick and roll, depending on how the how the team chooses to guard that with Drew Timmy. They're going to be an issue because Gonzaga, Jalen Suggs was their best defensive player on the in the perimeter, and they lost him. So, you know, you look at this team, they have Marcus Carr, 6'2 point guard. He was averaged 20 per game at Minnesota last year. Courtney Ramey's coming back 6'3 guard who averaged 12.5 last year. Andrew Jones is coming back 6'4 guard, averaged 15 per game last year. Like, that's a lot of dudes who are all, I think they're all seniors. I think Jones is a redshirt senior. So big veteran dudes, two guys who've been in this program for multiple years. is a guy who I think he'll acclimate to their system very well. Like, that could, they could, that could really give them some issues. Now, Texas's biggest rotation player is 6'9", so that's a pretty significant advantage for the Zags in the sense that they're going to start two players who are taller than 6'9", and while Timmy's only 6'10", he's bigger and more physical than pretty much anybody on Texas's roster. You know, they lost Greg Brown from last year, they lost Kai Jones from last year, so they're they're gonna be they're gonna be hurt in the front court. It's basically Texas's guards versus Gonzaga's bigs. I think Gonzaga's going to win this game, but it's very early in the year, so Gonzaga's gonna to have to gel quickly. People were concerned about that last year, and Gonzaga jailed within the first few minutes of their first game against Kansas, so there's not a strong reason to believe that they won't do that again this year, but it needs to happen in a hurry, because this is going to be a tough game. This is a tough opponent. So I'm going to pick them, but if somebody else picks UCLA, somebody else picks Duke, I I don't know that there's really a wrong answer by the end of the year. It might be somebody totally different out of that group. Those are all three very, very good teams, but I think that Texas game is going to be tough. This next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says... What are the best radio options for out-of-market fans for men's and women's basketball? Yeah, so the answer here is the Gonzaga IMG Radio Network. So that's that's the way to go. You can use the TuneIn app, which I have used in the past. It's an easy way to find it. You can also find it online. Sometimes you can find streams of the radio. It's it's a little bit difficult to find uh, all of the time, but I have used it in the past. Uh, if you don't have internet, <laughs> you're kind of SOL. You need to get the app, the TuneIn app again. But that's, that's where Adam Morrison is, Adam Morrison and... Tom Hudson, they you know the voice of Gonzaga, he's been calling games for a super long time. Obviously, Adam Morrison is, is awesome. If you have not heard his call of the Jalen Suggs shot against UCLA, please just go listen to it. In fact, we should just make it required listening like right before the first game of every season going forward. Listen to Adam Morrison call the Jalen Suggs three because it's one of the most fun Gonzaga cathartic moments. Like, it's, it's just a super fun moment. But to get back to the question, Gonzaga IMG Radio Network, check it out. Tune in app. You can find it there. You can probably find it online. Uh, there's, there's radio stations that'll carry the game throughout the state of Washington. So if you're in Seattle, if you're in Wenatchee, if you're in the Tri-Cities, if you're in Olympia, whatever, there are radio stations that almost always will pick up Gonzaga games, so you can check it out that way. But for out-of-market, like all the way outside of the state, this is going to be your best bet. All right, two segments down. Third segment, we're going to answer more listener-submitted questions for the rest of the episode. But before we get there... I wanna tell you about today's sponsor, Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites, like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, and only four grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Go to builtbar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's builtbar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, third segment. We're talking Zags in the NBA. Or excuse me, we're talking Pro Zags. Not all NBA-related questions, although that is... The primary topic of discussion after the NBA season has gotten started. This first question comes from Josh B. vexed at Josh Edits on Twitter, who asks, What's going on with Suggs? After a couple stellar summer league games, he's been pretty quiet and the bust memes are already out. So is it rookie jitters, lingering injury, bad coaching? And yes, the answer might be patience, grasshopper. Yeah, patience is, is probably going to be the key here. It's really early into his professional career. He And, and, and frankly, his performances haven't been... Like awful, they haven't been abysmal what what's been happening for those who haven't been paying attention is he's getting a fair amount of rebounds, a fair amount of assists, a fair amount of steals. He's just his shooting percentages are bad. He's missing a lot of shots. That's been the primary thing he's playing right now as I'm speaking by the time you listen to this, this game will be over. Last I checked he had ten points on like three of nine shooting, but he had four boards, four assists. so it's like well, he's. Like he's contributing, he's finding ways to contribute. He's just not knocking down a lot of his shots to answer the, the wise. I think the rookie jitters is a part of it. And Jalen is kind of a player who, who, who attempts to be very jitter proof. And so I don't like using that term because I don't think that he is nervous or like has any self doubt. What I think that it is quite frankly is two years ago, he played in front of high school gyms and, and he played you know at high levels in high school, but it was still high school. And then he came to college. And then throughout throughout his one year in college, he primarily didn't play in front of crowds. There was no crowds at his home games. You know, there were some crowds in the NCAA tournament, and no doubt that was, you know, a a shock for him that he got over and and succeeded, you know, very obviously quite a bit in those uh, moments, but he still hasn't had a lot of experience playing in front of crowds. And now today, like I said, he's playing right now tonight as I speak at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) In a pretty raucous building, with a ton of fans, it's just a—it's a new experience for him, and I think that it probably has some level of an impact. Again, I don't think that he's, like, you know, so enamored by the crowd or focused on the crowd or or shell shocked by the noise that he's not able to, you know, that's not why he's missing shots necessarily. But I think that it's—it's it's some level of a factor. He's probably putting a lot of pressure on himself. It's hard to be a top five pick in the draft. It's hard to be a player who's already forever going to be connected to Scotty Barnes, who quite frankly has had a tremendous start to his professional career in Toronto, which is very unfair because Scotty Barnes being good has nothing to do with Jalen Suggs, nothing to do with Jalen Suggs at all. It also does not mean that Toronto made the right decision. It does not mean that Toronto made the wrong decision still either. It doesn't mean anything (laughs) because it's been a few games. But the fact that this is, and I don't know how much Jalen pays attention to this. I assume very little. But it's all there. It's all happening. And we're feeling it as fans, like we've been defending him and he's struggling. And I know that it's hard, but we got to be patient. He's, He's 20, he's 19, whatever. He's very young. He's going to be a good NBA player. He's going to be a great NBA player. He may not be a great NBA player for the first half of this year. He may not finish this season as more than an okay NBA player. And that's fine that's fine. If he's not anywhere close to winning rookie of the year, that does not mean he will not be one of the best NBA players to come out of this class still. It just, it just may take a little bit of time. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, our guy Corey does not seem to be in a position to get much playing time this year. Obviously things can change, but DNP the first game and then 10 minutes in the second game. Is this just early in the season? Will things change? Rui coming back, probably not going to help Corey's minutes. And then Christian says, I'm currently shop- shopping around for an NBA team. I wish I was not really shopping, just kind of being a fan to root for a team. Which team is the most zagworthy to cheer for? The Wizards were my pick, but—and he kind of trails off. So, yeah, so talking about Corey— Similar concerns with, with Jalen. Obviously, Jalen's not having a playing time concern. Uh, he's playing quite a few minutes for Orlando. But Corey is not in the rotation yet. And the the biggest factor here is that the Wizards traded one player for five players. That's, that's what happened. They traded Russell Westbrook. They got a whole bunch of dudes back from the Lakers. It's a trade that looks quite bad for the Lakers at this point because they had to fill out their roster with a lot of past their prime veteran players and it has not gone particularly well russ westbrook himself is also struggling which is part of the deal they'll probably turn it around but for washington what it did is it created huge log jams at a lot of key positions you know they have they're starting three four five, or two three four is obviously bradley beal Contavius caldwell pope one of the players they got from the lakers and then Rui when he's healthy they also have davis bertans kyle kuzma montrez harrell raul neto all those guys need minutes and all those guys are good like Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell are taking up a lot of minutes. Harrell's playing more 4-5, so he's not taking a lot of Corey's minutes, but Kuzma definitely is. Burton's definitely is. Raul Nito's taking a lot of minutes at the 2. They just have a lot of depth. And it's why Washington's going to be a better team this year because of all that added depth. I think Corey's going to play. I think he is going to carve out a role and he is going to play. He may not be more than the eighth man. That's maybe the best case scenario for him this year. And when he was drafted, the trade hadn't been finalized at the time, if I'm remembering correctly. He was looking like a, a much bigger part of the rotation. So this isn't anything Corey did. He didn't lose playing time. He didn't lose an opportunity. The team just acquired a lot of players who have similar roles to him. And it kind of pushed him out of the edge so far. As for which team you should root for, obviously, that's kind of up to you. Washington does have the best chance to see, like, every Washington game is probably going to give you the most Gonzaga minutes when Rui's healthy, or when Rui's, yeah, when he's mentally healthy. When it's Rui, Corey, and there's a chance for Joel, he's not on the current roster, obviously, I don't know if, when he's going to actually get a chance to play on the team, but... That gives you the best chance because those guys are going to play more minutes combined than Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly at Memphis, most likely. Killian Tilly is on a two-way contract, so he may or may not even be on the active roster. Brandon Clark is still coming off the bench, so he is not playing a ton of minutes, certainly not the number of minutes that Rui is playing. But having said all that, if you want to just watch good basketball and you want to see Zags, watch the Pacers, man. The Pacers are so fun this year, and they're fun because of DeMontis Sabonis. And before I go too far into that— I'm going to answer my next question. Another one from Christian that says, Sabonis, first two games, 30 and 12. I mean, this is nothing short of remarkable. Thoughts on dynamic DeMontis. Yes, let's get right into it. DeMontis Sabonis looks like he is the third straight year. He has dramatically improved more than that. Fourth straight year, he's dramatically improved. And when you are an all-star and you dramatically improve and you make another all-star game, most people don't expect you to dramatically improve again, but yet here we are. DeMontis looks extraordinary. The main immediately noticeable thing, he's shooting threes. He's shooting threes off the dribble. He's shooting catch and shoot threes. Like the dude is just bombing from long range. And he had it a little bit in his bag before this, but not to this level of consistency. And so here For a player who plays at the perimeter, he does a lot of dribble handoffs. He facilitates the offense. He drives to the basket a lot. He's got a good mid-range game. Being able to add a three-point shot makes him so hard to defend because right now, one of the only things defenses can do when he's got the ball up there is sag off him a little bit. It makes it a little harder for him to drive. It gives you a little bit of space if he does do a dribble handoff to actually get in front of the guard. But now if he's just going to knock down open threes, that forces the big man to play up closer to him, which then makes it easier for him to drive around them. It makes it easier for guards to cut to the basket because the big man is not under the rim. It, It creates a whole litany of issues for the opposing defense and that's why like that this is why chet's going to be so lethal in a gonzaga uniform because he can do a lot of the same stuff Demontis is doing it at this level which is insane 30 and 12 is ridiculous i think since this question was asked yet a not quite as good game, although I think it was still like 14 and 10. So like not, not a bad game necessarily. If he continues to knock down threes, he's going to be an all-star for the third straight year. He's going to be in legitimate contention for all NBA third team, maybe all NBA second team. He's an absolute monster. It's been so, so much fun to see him turn into this kind of player at the next level. Last question of the show, another one from Christian. He says, I loved your take on retiring Courtney Vandersloot's jersey. Thank you. Is there a timeline for this? How much longer could Courtney play? You had mentioned the next Olympics are a real possibility for Courtney. Is the official jersey retirement likely not to happen until she retires? Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, that's my general expectation here. I don't know this season. After she won the WNBA finals, she was a hot, you know, a player often discussed in the general basketball atmosphere, ton of attention for her and for her wife, Allie Quigley. And of course, for Candace Parker and the rest of that team, I think this would be a great year to do it. This would be a great year to do it. Remind the fans who she is, that she went to Gonzaga, how great she was as a player. She can, you know, hoist up the new ring that she's got the first ring uh, for a Gonzaga player in a long time. I think it would be super cool, but it's, they're not going to do it without her being in in there. And if she goes and plays overseas this off season, then they're not, they're just not going to do it. Uh, They they may try to find a time that works, an opportunity for her to come back, but I don't think they want to do it unless she can make it. Her family can make it all of that stuff, because that's more important than actually like frantically working to get the Jersey up there as soon as possible. Just doesn't make sense. It's not a priority. Nobody on the women's team is wearing it. They're not wearing her number. Her number was 21 when she was at Gonzaga. They're not wearing it. So like it's not like getting it up there is going to prevent, (laughs) it's going to change anything on the actual roster. So it's more of a ceremony. It's a celebration for her. Obviously, it's a nice gesture to know that it's retired. And right now, not knowing that it's retired, I think alienates some of the fan base. And I understand that it should be. There's no doubt in my mind. But I, I said on the last episode, I'll say it again here, they're doing the right thing by waiting for an opportunity to do it when Courtney can be there. And I don't think she's retire anytime soon. She's 31. She's physically healthy. She played as good as she's ever played this last season. There's no reason for her to retire. I think the Olympics are still absolutely in play for her. I think she could play for, you know, continuing health five or six more seasons. I would love for Gonzaga to try to knock this out before then. And I could see in a situation where she opts not to continue to play overseas, but it's more lucrative. And that's a whole other thing. And, and Christian did ask about the the pay discrepancy. That was another topic. I'm I may tackle that on a future episode. I'm not going to tackle it here because we're, you know, 30 minutes into a uh, podcast episode that's supposed to be 30 minutes long. So it's a lot longer conversation than that. It is depressing that Courtney Vandersloot can win a championship for the city of Chicago, be celebrated all over ESPN Sports Center, get shouted out by a bunch of professional NBA players, and then have to go play in Turkey for a few months in order to make enough money to. To survive that's not ideal we can all acknowledge <laughs> that that's not ideal but I think that it is one of the things that's holding up their jersey retirement ceremony and I hope Gonzaga can find a way to make it work with her schedule this year because I think now is a really good time to strike and kind of give her a, the, a great way to end the actual season and and be reminded of like her time at Gonzaga and remind the fans how great of a player and a person that Courtney Vandersloot is all right few more player previews are going to be hammered out this week we got a few more guys we haven't quite covered yet and then we're going to finish the week with the preview of eastern oregon we got a couple other fun stuff we're going to do in that episode as well all of that right here on the locked on zads podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on youtube another reminder podcast links will also be available on twitter at locked on zags and on my own twitter account which you can follow at score score Finally, thank you again for making this episode your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.